Cool. Well, don't know how you follow and act like Jamie and Asia, but we're going to give it a go. Keep your Bibles. Actually, you flick back to Luke, it'd be handy. So, uh, be great. I want to uh, start off asking you an easy question. All right, this is an easy question. How old were you in 1996? Come on. That's a bit of a take you back, isn't it, hey? <laughs> I, was, I think I was 29. Yeah, 20 years ago, isn't it? I guess there's a few. Who wasn't born in 1996? Yeah, look at that, eh? Oh, yeah, come on, come on. All right, well, back in 1996, Australian author John Martin, who's just written a swag of uh, books, actually, he edited um, a book called I Believe This, 100 Eminent Australians Face Life's Biggest Questions. Uh, They just picked 100 Australians, like well-known Australians, and they... um, surveyed them they had 500 words to write about what they believe about life death god meaning purpose all those sorts of things Uh, as you can imagine there's a whole swag of um thoughts in there and he uh he actually did it again 10 years later in 2006 how old who was alive in 2006 or who wasn't alive you know he wasn't alive 2006 right so he did it again 10 10 years later uh whole spectrum of um opinion and so journalist and tv personality john casimir uh he's a guy who's uh really involved with the abc at the moment he said there is no meaning of life it's a never-ending corridor to nowhere we are replicating dna and that's it that's one spectrum then you've got someone else like tim costello who's actually just resigned um as the ceo of world vision this year Um, this is what he had to write He wrote, I believe there is more to life than the material things around us. I identify in the person of Jesus Christ a unique spiritual force. I believe he's more than just a man. I find his life so inspiring and his death and resurrection overwhelmingly redemptive. Uh, Here we are in 2016, another 10 years later. So uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's going to repeat the same thing, but I do wonder... If John Marsden did another survey of these 100 people, um, if or how their beliefs uh, would have changed about life, death, meaning and, and God, etc. Now, as we've heard um, just before from Jamie and Aisha, what they think and believe about life and death and meaning in God has, has changed and grown um, over the years. And now here in 2016, it's pretty different to when Trinity Bay started right, way back. Uh, in 2006 and we've heard of something of their joy their joy in discovering uh, just the goodness and the grace of God the certainty uh, that they have in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and as we heard from Jamie for him uh, it was quite significant a bit of a paradigm shift occurred as he realised the historicity uh, the veracity uh, of the evidence around Jesus Christ that Uh, To grapple with that means you can't just sort of put Jesus in a dustbin uh, as a fable or a fairy tale. But what about for you? I wonder over the last 10 years or 20 years how your beliefs have changed, whether they've dulled or they've sharpened. Uh, Why do you believe what you believe today? Has that changed? And these questions, I reckon they're really important questions that impact our lives and eternity. You see, after all, 
um, if there is a God behind it all, it suggests that you and I are actually intended, that we're actually part of a greater purpose, uh, that there is real meaning and joy to be found in this life. But if, on the other hand, we're nothing more than worm food, then you and your children really are just meaningless dust on the floor of eternity. See, what we believe and why we believe what we believe, it affects everything about us, doesn't it? Our choices, our behaviours, our decisions, uh, what, what gets us out of bed. And so point one in our outline, billions of Christians around the world believe that Christmas and Christianity is more than just a story. Uh, now, I should say, I always know when it is going to be Christmas because there's a shirt on my bed. And this is the shirt on my bed this year, my Christmas shirt from my wife that she wanted to see me in this Christmas. So I'm wearing it. Uh, I get one every year. But Christianity, that's just a little tradition. There you go. Just, anyway, that's how I know it's Christmas. Chris, Christianity, claims, uh, Christianity claims that God has revealed himself in history in the person of Jesus Christ. Not just that, he's left his fingerprints everywhere. He's left a, a verifiable library of evidence uh, for us, uh, if we're willing to take, make the effort um, to, to substantiate the truth of Jesus for our lives. So again, just th- those words again, let's just refresh ourselves those words in, in Luke chapter 1. They, uh, we, we got past them pretty quick. But these words um, were very significant for me in grappling with Christianity some 25 years ago uh, and also for Jamie. So we're on page, what are we on? One page, 1,024. But many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Now, what's Luke saying here? Well, firstly, that in, in his time, when he, when he started his research, there were other accounts about Jesus based on eyewitness testimony already floating around. Uh, Luke, uh, who was a doctor, he wasn't an eyewitness, and so he's carefully investigated and gathered together all the eyewitness testimony from the beginning. And because history uh, and writing history was an incredibly expensive exercise back in Luke's day, he had a, a sponsor, it's probably this guy Theophilus, and perhaps like some of us here, uh, Theophilus has heard some things about Jesus. He's been taught some things about Jesus, uh, that Jesus lived, he, he died uh, for his sins, that Jesus was raised bodily to, bodily to life, he ascended to his father's side, uh, where he lives and reigns uh, in heaven at his father's right hand, and that one day he will return. He is coming back one day to save those who believe in him and to bring God's justice to bear on those who don't. So this well-to-do patron, Theophilus, it's possible that he's not as sure as he once was, uh, that uh, his faith, uh, the things he'd been taught, his faith has frayed in the winds of an unbelieving world. And I don't think I need to explain that statement. And perhaps you can identify with Theophilus' uncertainties. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning, as you think back 10 years or 20 years, you think, you know what, 
I, I'm not as full of as much joy, I think, as I used to be as a Christian, as a believer. Things have dulled a bit because you're not as certain about Jesus, about these things as maybe you once were. And so Luke's gospel account, he's claiming here that the author and the sustainer of the universe, God himself, has in person stepped into time and place in this world in a tangible, verifiable way in his own son. And it's a claim that we are invited to examine for ourselves. And we live in a world, we live in a, a country uh, with, you know, we're surrounded by different religions. Christianity claims something unique among world religions. And so take Buddhism. Buddhism was founded on Siddhartha Gautama's insights while meditating under a Bodhi tree. Or take Hinduism. Uh, looks to the Vedas. Uh, it was supposedly collected and passed on from the gods to the first man at the dawn of time. Islam, that's founded on the belief that the angel Gabriel dictated to the prophet Muhammad the word of God privately in a cave. Now, whether uh, these other three world religions are true or not, I'll leave for you to work out for yourself. But what we can say these three world religions have in common is that as much as you may want to, you cannot test the historical truth of their claims. Uh, only Christianity, it's the only world religion that is grounded in real time and place in historical evidence that is out there in the public marketplace of ideas that can actually be tested can actually be validated. And it got me thinking, actually, I actually wonder if this is one of the reasons why of all the world religions, Christianity seems to be the one that's most easily attacked by people because it's the only one that is out there in the public market square of ideas. And this idea that Christianity is historical, it's verifiable, it's everywhere in the New Testament, which is why I had that other Bible reading read, written uh, by the Apostle Paul to some Quintans in Corinth. Uh, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the Apostles. Uh, now, when Paul writes in accordance with the scriptures, he's saying in accordance with all of the promises that God has made in time and place through people that have been written and recorded in the rest of the Bible. Promises fulfilled by Jesus. And so, as we heard, Luke's language is not accordance with the scriptures, but fulfilled among us. You see, Jesus fulfilled all these promises in the Bible among us, in time and place, among many people. And notice the language that Paul uses. It's courtroom language, isn't it? He appeared, he appeared, he appeared. It's the language of witness, of testimony. Not to one bloke in a cave or under a tree, but to many people over 500 days. Over 500 people over many days, I should say. 40, 40 days. Christian faith is grounded... Not in a, a mystical story at the beginning of creation or in some sort of dictation of divine uh, words uh, to an individual in a cave. Things that just can't be validated. 
Christianity is anchored in a series of real-time events, took place in public with witnessed by many people. And even as Paul wrote these words to the, to the, to the Christians, he's saying, hey guys, a heap of these witnesses are still alive. You can go and validate these things for yourself. Now what's fascinating is one thing that historians are yet to find, uh, or that has bubbled up from history, is any document that refutes these historical events about Jesus. Um, which brings us to our second point. You see, apart from the gospel records in the Bible, how do historians know Jesus really existed? Well, as I was surprised to discover, and as we heard Jamie was as well, um, the evidence for Jesus of Nazareth in history, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Now, I've just picked two examples of many. There's a whole swag of historical documents from different sources um, that you can almost put together the whole birth, life, death and resurrection events um, of Jesus without even opening a Bible. I'm just going to, this is just two. Uh, a guy called Josephus, he was a Jewish historian. He wrote up a Jewish history of uh, the Jews about 30 years after Jesus. He was a military leader uh, in his in antiquities. This is a record of a bit about Jesus. Um, Jesus, a wise man, if it is appropriate to call him a man, for he did marvellous deeds. He was Messiah. And when Pilate had condemned him to be crucified, those who loved him did not abandon him, for he appeared alive again to them on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. This guy wasn't a Christian, okay? So there's no Christian agenda here. He was not a Christian when he wrote this. Then you've got um, a Roman historian like Cornelius Tacitus. He wrote his Annals of um, Imperial Rome in about AD uh, 115. And in recounting the persecutions against early Christians, Tacitus records this about Jesus. Uh, Christians uh, derived their name from a man called Christ, who during the reign of Emperor Tiberius had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. The deadly superstition, thus checked for the moment, broke out afresh not only in Judea, the first source of this, of evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world meet and become popular now you can probably pick up this guy was not a fan of christianity or christians was he so yet tacitus confirms where when and by whom jesus was executed Uh, and it's because of historical records like these that all mainstream historians who are who are respected they have no doubt that the man Jesus of Nazareth, he lived, he died in the first century in Palestine, and that the gospel narratives, the four gospel narratives that we have here, are essentially historically sound documents. That they've come to us as they were reliably, as they were written. What we hold in our hand is reliable, credible. Brings us to our third point in our outline, why Luke's gospel is verifiable historical good news again verses three and four from luke therefore since i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught see what is luke's cure for skeptics or doubters it's a careful investigation from the beginning checking and double checking eyewitness accounts That is, he puts it out there on the coffee table and says, look at the evidence for yourself. 
check it out for yourself. Now, I don't know about you, there's not a lot of things you can be completely certain about in this world. Luke's claim is, this is one thing you can be absolutely certain about. And the joy of certainty that Luke is holding out to each of us this morning is well captured by uh, a guy called uh, Tony Morford. Uh, He's an Australian chap. He's spent a lifetime writing scripts for Australian TV shows and documentaries. Uh, He was once a self-confessed atheist, quite outspoken. Uh, But a mate of his who was a Christian challenged him. He said, look, you should at least have a look at a gospel yourself. And so he did. He read one and then he read all four of them. And this is what Tony Morfitt said. I'd spent all my working life writing scripts which were either documentary or fiction. When I came to the Gospels, I recognised that they were not fiction. They were documentary. So this led Tony Morfitt to keep investigating Jesus Christ. And several months later, he was so convinced by the evidence, he couldn't say no to Jesus. That is... He was compelled to put his faith in Jesus Christ as his own personal saviour and God. This atheist became a Christian. It all began as he was challenged and he took the time to read through a gospel. And so I just want to spend the next rest of our time really thinking about a little bit of application for us because here we are spinning catapulting to the end of another year uh, or probably too quickly i don't know if you've had much time to stop and think about um, what you believe and why but if you're here and we are looking for more joy with certainty this christmas uh, if here's the first thing if there is more to life than meets the eye um, is it a good time just to make the time to talk more to talk to someone Maybe you believe death uh, is the end. Uh, Maybe you believe that being a pretty nice person, well, at least by your standards, will mean everything's going to be okay in the end. But, you know, friends, the last time I checked, uh, death remains as real as ever. Uh, And during all this, um, as this has been going on this morning, um, some of you are aware that um, Gaynor's mum, Gaynor Bryant, Loreen, two nights ago, she had a massive bleed on the brain. She's unconscious, she's on life support and probably in in her last remaining hours today. She's surrounded by Gaynor, uh, by Mick. Um, Please pray for them. They weren't expecting this, but here they are, about to lose their mum. The Apostle Paul wrote, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope we might have hope real hope the bible is a book that drips with hope and i know a lot of us here know that because the scriptures they're grounded in real historical flesh and blood hope the events of that first christmas and that first easter they remind us that god has left clues everywhere There really is more to life than the stresses and struggles you're currently going through. There really is more to life than the disappointments and whatever fleeting joys you are currently enjoying day by day. Uh, All of us, I gave all of us a a little article inside, which you can feel free just to pull that out for a moment, your leaflet. I came across this actually a couple of weeks ago uh, in a journal that I received and... um, 
he's a, he's a British export, uh, this guy, Professor Stuart Burgess, um, Professor of Engineering Design at the University of Bristol in the U- UK. Now, he's published over 150 secular papers just around design. Uh, he's the guy that England asked to head up the team to do a 1,000 hours of research and completely redesign the transmission system on the cycles that the, the, the um, English um, cycling team used in Rio. And I don't know, how many medals did they win? Lots. Um, he's smart. He, he gets it um, when it comes to design. And he says, there are clues everywhere around us that support a powerful argument in favour of God's existence. That's consistent with the Bible. Now, one of the reasons I've included this article, because when I read it, I thought, wow, this is... I read it and I was equipped to have all sorts of conversations because it's an interview. And given that 20% of Aussies now call themselves atheists, I reckon there's a decent chance that a lot of us are going to have one or more um, people who don't believe in God at our Christmas tables or you know, with us at our Christmas drinks. And so here's a record of an interview. And I reckon you read this, it'll spice up, help you to spice up some of those conversations. Um, and I think a lot of you will just find it um, encouraging. But here's my second question for us in light uh, of Luke's claims here. If Jesus offers something other religions and philosophies can't offer, is it a good time to actually explore the historical Jesus further? Um, you know, it's now pretty popular that all religions, uh, people, you know, just, just rolls off their tongue as a sort of a side swipe. Um, all religions essentially teach the same thing. But a moment's reflection and you realise there's a flaw to this view. Um, I mean, yes, there are a few similarities between some religions, but the differences are massive. So, for example, Christianity teaches that in Jesus, God took on human flesh and became man. This idea is blasphemous in Islam. Islam teaches that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but he revived in a cool tomb. Christianity teaches that Jesus did die and after three days rose bodily back to life. Buddhism teaches there is no God. Hinduism teaches there are many gods or deities. They both teach reincarnation. Christianity teaches there is one personal God, that we each live and die once and then every human being will be raised to judgment on the day of Jesus' return. That is... You can see that to claim all religions teach the same thing or that behind all religions is, you know, the one God, that it's not only really disrespectful to people, followers of those religions, but I think it's actually the most intolerant position someone can take and, in fact, the most arrogant position, claiming to be able to know these things. Now, again... I'm not having a crack if this is where you're at this morning, fair enough, but I just want to, I'm saying this just because I want to encourage you to explore the historical Jesus if that's not something you haven't done. The third implication is this, if this is real Christianity and not a con, is it a good time to evaluate if maybe you've been missing out all these years? I keep bumping into people. That's pretty funny, isn't it, that cartoon? It's good, I like it. I keep bumping into people who have rejected Christianity or the idea of God 
And when I listen to them, it becomes clear that what they've rejected is actually not the Christianity that we bump into here in the Bible. It's, it's not biblical Christianity. And it's often people who have had some contact with the church or uh, they've had contact with a private school, like Jamie shared, and they were made to never feel good enough. Uh, that God was an ogre, um, God was more a schoolmaster than a saviour. Like, and so just these last eight weeks, um, someone who was invited along to Trinity Bay Evenings, um, he's an intelligent guy, he's um, uh, a living student up at Flinders, he's studying law. Uh, now he's from the country, he grew up in a, a Roman Catholic church, Roman Catholic family, 10 years as an altar boy. But he walked in eight weeks ago with a whole swag of questions. Um, some only, only a law student could ask, actually, but anyway. Um, but he had, he had real doubts, real doubts, because he just, for about six years, no one could answer his questions. In fact, his priest told him just to stop asking questions. And so he was really struggling. He didn't even know if he really believed in God. But just a few weeks ago, um, as we just got to the end of reading through Luke's gospel, he said, you know what? All my questions have been answered. Um, it's fantastic. And you could just see the convictions and the joy uh, that he now had. More importantly, um, for, for, for this law student, he's, he'd met a personal God of grace, of relationship, uh, who loved him, sent his son to die for him, who'd done it all. Uh, come to know real forgiveness, that it wasn't up to his resume of good works, his CV, but it was because of everything Jesus had done on the cross for him. And it all started because someone invited him along. And then he came and he asked me, he said, can we please start meeting up? I want to read through Luke's gospel with you. I said, sure, okay, <laughs> I'll make time for that. Um, but again, if that's you, look, it's a great time of the year to do that. If you've got a few spare hours, you know, some weeks holidays, to take the time and to have a read just to check for yourself that you're not missing out. You're not selling yourself short. Fourthly, if faith in Jesus is not a leap in the dark, is it time to consider the evidence and the man? Uh, that's not Jesus as well. That's John Lennox, okay? So that's not Jesus. Uh, but uh, in his book, um, Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist, The God Delusion, he, he starts off using a dictionary definition of delusion as his definition for faith. He says uh, that faith is a persistent false belief held in the face of strong contradictory evidence. That is, um, his definition reflects the false understanding that, that faith is, is this kind of willing that we do when we sort of want something to be true, even though all the evidence um, leads you uh, to another conclusion. And of course, we all know that that's not faith. What we've discovered or been reminded of this morning is that Christian faith is in fact quite reasonable and rational. Christian faith is not a leap in the dark, but a leap forward. It's grounded in the verifiable historical evidence of the Bible. And I reckon a, a fairer definition of biblical faith is that it is reasonable or reliable trust. Reasonable or reliable trust. And again, that quote from John Lennox. Faith is not a leap in the dark. 
It's the exact opposite. It's a commitment based on evidence. It is irrational to reduce all faith to blind faith and then subject it to ridicule. That provides a very anti-intellectual and convenient way of avoiding intelligent discussion. At a recent baptism, um, I was talking to a mechanical engineer uh, who actually went to the same school that Jamie went to. He now works out at Holden's. Yes, it's still going out there. Um, I know I asked him how attending chapel at the school had left, left him, you know, and his thinking and beliefs about God. And he shared that, well, look, he was probably in the agnostic car park about there really being a God. Hadn't given it a lot of thought since leaving school, but he said, look, no disrespect, because many people really believe this is true, but I guess I believe it's probably just a story. Now, for many like him, the events of that first Christmas and Easter, it is a great story. But I, I said to him, I said, mate, do you reckon like, it could be true? It could be true. It could be more than just a story. And we talked and, and I said, look, you know, it turns out he'd never read through a gospel as an adult. Ne- never read through a gospel as an adult. And I guess what was sad about that conversation is that he didn't take the, the, the gospel of Luke that I offered him. Um, wasn't interested. But that's my encouragement to, to, to some of us this morning who are in this place. For the rest of us who are here already convinced, um, I, wanna, I want you to take a leaf out of Hans and Chris Mulak's playbook. Are you guys here this morning? Go on your hands. So anyway, these guys are rushing out of carols. As soon as it finished last week, I thought, was it that bad? <laughs> They go, no, 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 we've invited these three couples. They've come to carols and a couple of them are, you know, we're not sure where they're at and they're thinking about God. We've, we've sort of arranged to have dinner back at our place. Um, and, um, and so they're rushing off and then Luke, and then Hans goes, oh, I probably should have grabbed some of those Luke's Gospels. And so he runs back in, grabs a handful of Luke's Gospels, runs back out. And um, anyway, turns out, good conversation and they all took a Luke's Gospel home to read. Is that right, mate? That's what you said, yeah. Which is, I mean, how good is that? But thoughtful, intentional, planned, uh, considered. Um, and obviously, I'm sure with these guys, pray with them that uh, they, these guys read and are grabbed by the truth of Jesus. Christmas is coming again. We've got Christmas services coming up. We've got an, a, a great series in January. Um, I think scratching where people are itching, asking those sorts of questions, the sort of things we're chasing after. Um, invite you know people along what we know what i want to do this morning is just um uh just finish uh with this whole melody of joy in luke's gospel i reckon of all the gospels this theme of joy it's 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 the loudest in luke's gospel um and um in particular um a timely reminder from jesus himself about what needs to always be at the heart of christian joy if, if, if you're wanting more joy this Christian, uh, this, 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 this Christmas, um, here's a word from Jesus, and it's particularly going to be aimed at Aisha and Jamie, um, so it's a bit of a public word, but I suspect there's some relevance here for all of us. Um, so what I want us to do is just quickly turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, um, and what's that, page 1040, Luke chapter 10, and... Um, let me just sort of set the scene with, with the first um, couple of um, verses there. Um, 
So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And you read on the 72, they go out preaching the good news about Jesus with the authority of Jesus himself to, to, to their fellow countrymen and fellow countrywomen. And, and they come back and it's like they've been given superpowers or something. Because just have a look with me, verse 17, have a read there. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but... um, some of us here might actually enjoy what we spend most of our week doing. <laughs> to actually enjoy what you do is, I reckon, a great gift, and it's, I think it's a great motivator. And to be gifted and good at what you do, I mean, that's a double blessing. I mean, you enjoy it, but you enjoy blessing others in that. Now, Jamie and Aisha, um, both of you are young, you're godly, but you're good and gifted at what you do. Um, and we, th- we do thank and praise God for you guys. You know, you've been a great blessing for a good number of years to us so far. Um, but I want to remind you both of a crucial truth that Jamie, Colin and I, we spent a few hours this week uh, reading through uh, this book, little book, which I just dropped, um, called Zeal Without, Zeal Without Burnout. And just some really uh, helpful words uh, from Christopher Ashe um, from actually this, this chapter. Uh, We ought to enjoy ourselves in the deepest sense. But how? There are two alternatives. We may enjoy gifts or we may enjoy grace. We may enjoy whatever is the equivalent for us of the demons submitting to us in Jesus' name. Or we may enjoy that our names are written in heaven. If joy is to motivate Christians to gospel endeavour then joy must be rooted in something outside the fruits of our work, something that can't be touched by the vagaries and frustrations of this life under the sun. When our joys come from our gifts and our successes, we will always feel under pressure, needing the next success and people's praise to feed our joy. A little paraphrase of what Christopher Ash says for you too. That is, you'll only feel as good or as joyful as your last sermon, your last Bible study, your last carols that you've led, your last song that you've written or last album that you've produced. That is, you'll get in this merry-go-round chasing joy. What's the remedy? Well, it's to glory much in God's grace. Uh, Writes Christopher Ashe, it is a privilege to be used in ministry, but it is a much greater privilege to be recipients of God's grace. Now, I say this to these two guys, and I suspect some of us here can resonate with this. Partly because this room is full of people who love you, but because you're both godly and gifted, you're both the eldest in your family, which means you feel the great expectation of others. Uh, You care deeply about Jesus, about people. 
Uh, you care about doing a good job. You hate letting people down. You're responsible. And I know lots of us can relate to this sort of a personality. Now, these are all good things about how God has wired you both and the faith that he's given you both. But there are all sorts of joys that are fleeting in life and in ministry especially. And there's only one joy that is abiding for eternity. Only one joy that will actually fuel your life, fuel a lifetime of love and service and faithful ministry. It's the joy of Jesus, and I know you know that. But in the busyness of life and ministry, easy to forget that. Uh, It's the joy and freedom of knowing that if you never write another song or produce another album, if you never lead another gathering in song or preach a sermon or give a talk, that God cannot and will not love you any less or love you any more than he already does. Because your name is in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. Let's pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for Luke's historical account of Jesus Christ. And thank you that these events concerning Jesus are historical and verifiable. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, into the world. Thank you for his death on his cross in our place to win forgiveness for our sin. Thank you for his bodily resurrection from the the dead. And thank you for the real evidence-based hope and meaning we can know and enjoy by trusting in Jesus as our Saviour and God. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the deep joy that comes from knowing that for all who believe in Jesus can live each day confident and assured that their names are written in heaven. So please help each of us to obey your command to rejoice in this. May our greatest joy each day be that our names are written in heaven. And may this joy bubble over in our love for people and our conversations with people so that others also might come to know this greatest of all joys that any human being can know while on this planet. Amen.